0: Voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul. Thank you.
1: I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That old song expresses it well. It is always my hope that as we deal with our spiritual lives, that we'll grow every single day. We'll grow in our prayer lives, we'll grow in our Bible study, and we'll grow in our ministry one to the other. My name is Hal Brady and I'm so delighted you've joined us tonight for this service. Thank you for joining us as we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary to worship the living God. And as always, my prayer is that you will be blessed both by the word and the music. Would you hear please the reading of God's word? It comes from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children." This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A family was being shown Chartwell, which was Winston Churchill's house. As they were going through the house, the guide said when they came out of Winston Churchill's study, this room has been left exactly as Winston Churchill left it. A little boy piped up and said he left the light on. Well, I don't know much about Winston Churchill and his house, but I do know something about the God of Jesus Christ. He too left the light on in the world, and the darkness has not been able to overcome it. Listen to how the writer again puts this text. John says in his vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The reason there was a new heaven and a new earth is because there was no more sea. And these words, and no more sea, carry abiding significance. You see, the sea was always a barrier between the Creator and the creatures. The sea, of course, represented the old order. We're talking about sin and oppression and terrorism and grief and crying and all of those things. With the sea out of the way, there could be a new freedom between the creator and his creatures to enjoy one another and to share life together. It is important to realize that John's vision, which includes the entire book of Revelation, is a word of hope to a persecuted people. This is a word of hope telling these people that as they go through their trials and tribulations, God is still with them, and that nothing will happen in history that is beyond God's control. It also tells these people about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It is indeed a picture of God leaving a light on in the world. So what can we learn as we think about God in John's vision? First of all, we see God's authorization of hope. God's authorization of hope. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of attending a worship service, a memorial worship service, for the people who had been killed in that tragic Oklahoma bombing which occurred a number of years ago. As you remember, these were the social administration services people who had lost their lives, 16 of them. 16 of them were beautifully eulogized by 16 of their friends in the Dallas region. I was invited to come to this service because they wanted me to bring a message of hope. And I went to bring this hope because I felt like this hope was authorized by the Word of God and also by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a basic reason why the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's basically, as I said, a book of hope. How strange that must sound to us as we think of Revelation with all of its woes and all of its problems and all of its wrath and all of its judgment. And yet this particular book is a book of hope. The central message of this book is that evil has been conquered and that we are a part of the victorious Jesus as he rules the earth. Though no matter what happened, no matter how difficult things may get, we belong to the one who is the victor. Note that the book of Revelation addresses things in the present. So many people think this book just talks about the future. But I want you to note that it addresses things in the present. There's a writer, his name is Brian McLaren. He states these words, even if the emperor is mad, Revelation claims it's not the end of the world. Even if wars rage, it's not the end of the world. Even if the world, as we know it, disappears, it's only a new beginning, a new beginning. Whatever happens, God will be faithful, and the way of Christ, which is the way of love, nonviolence, and compassion, is going to rule in the end. I'll always remember my friend Eddie Fox, what he said after the fall of the Berlin Wall. As you may remember, Eddie Fox was the former director of World Methods Evangelism. After that wall fell, and the Communist governments fell in Eastern Europe, the very next day, on the lawn of a little church in Prague, Czechoslovakia, appeared a little sign. And on the sign, the day after simply said this, the Lamb wins. Eddie Fox said, Notice he didn't say the bear or the lion or the tiger. He said the lamb wins. So in the midst of difficult times, enormous uncertainty and fearful straits, the writer of Revelation asked a question, not only of the ancient Israelites, but also of us as well. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? To the people of this world, I'm talking about the skeptics and the non-believers. Life seems to just look like a treadmill going round and round and getting absolutely no place. But the people of God are able to discern a kingdom being let down in our midst. We're talking about the city of Jerusalem coming down among us. This kingdom is always asking us to repent of our sins. This kingdom is ever trying to break itself into the affairs of earth and into the affairs of humankind. Hear me now. The people of God are always drawn to a kingdom that's being let down from heaven. The people are always able to discern this, the people of God. On the night before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, somebody said he gave a speech that transformed him, that after he had given the speech, he collapsed in complete weakness after he had given this message. This was a part of that message. He said, I've been to the mountaintop, he cried. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that tonight, we as a people will get there. I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's been a long time since Dr. King's first speech, I Have a Dream. And since that time, Dr. King had walked through fire, fire after fire after fire. He was persecuted from every side. So Dr. King said he didn't have hope in humankind. He didn't have peace of mind in humankind. He had hope in God, a God who made a way out of no way. You see, Martin Luther King Jr. was able to discern a kingdom being let down in his midst. I've been reading a lot about the Ebola crisis, as I'm sure you have. I've been reading about the numbers of volunteers that are increasing around the world trying to stop the spread of this horrible disease. I read about a YMCA in Missoula, Montana had partnered with the YMCA in Sierra Leone, and they had gotten together and made tremendous donations to get chlorine buckets and bleach buckets and all kind of hand sanitation things and different things. They had even raised money to provide food for the people who had to stay in their house who were quarantined, waiting to see who was going to come down with the disease. Evidently, these people of the YMCA had been able to discern a kingdom that had been let down from heaven. A kingdom that had been let down from heaven. And then there are other great leaders all around this world. There was one preacher, an Episcopalian minister, who said that she had been preaching in New York City for 22 years. 22 years. And one day, she said in her congregation, she gave the words of Moses. Listen to these words. Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. This particular minister said she could stay in the pulpit all day, but we would never understand how much this passage meant to her. She said in the midst of her frustrations, her fears, her failures, this passage always came to her, the Lord will fight for you. All you have to do is be still. Evidently, this minister was able to see a kingdom that was coming down into the world among us. And then there was Deborah Carr. You remember Deborah Carr years ago made the movie Quo Vadis. The people were asking her how she felt when she was sort of staked out in a Roman Colosseum, and she couldn't leave and she saw the lions rushing toward her. A newspaper said, what did you think when you saw those lions rushing towards you? And you know what she said? She simply said, I had already read the script, and I knew Robert Taylor was coming to rescue me. Beloved, when we have read the script and we know how it's going to end, we are able to see a kingdom coming down into the world. We discern a kingdom coming down into the world. And so in the midst of difficult times, enormous uncertainty and fearful straits, The people of God are able to see a kingdom being let down into the world. And so certainly we see God's authorization of hope. And then secondly, we see God's emphasis on community. God's emphasis on community. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Where two or three are gathered together, that implies community. Jesus promised his presence in community. And you know what happened immediately after he promised that presence? The Holy Spirit came after Jesus' ascension and his resurrection. The Holy Spirit came and founded the church. There he was amidst the community gathered in his name. Now, let's stay with our text. John's vision is of a community or a city. John's vision is of a community or a city. In modern times, we have so many troubles in our cities that we, it's hard for us to realize that God is working his eternal plans out through the city, through the city. Beloved, life's consummation is not gonna be a desert. We're not gonna be out there somewhere alone. Life consummation is gonna be a city. It's gonna be a community. You know what that actually means? That means that salvation is not an isolated event. Life is not an isolated event. It's all meant for community. Basically, the Scripture does not depict God's plans for humankind in terms of, of individual privacy. The Scripture depicts God's plans for humankind in terms of a vast city where there's justice and peace and everybody's living together. So we can talk about rugged individualism all we want. That's not the name of God's game. God's game is community, city. God's name is fellowship. And so whatever our vision of God is, it has to be all inclusive of other people, all people, if it's truly God's vision, if it's truly God's vision. It was said of Mother Teresa, first she gave herself to Christ, and then she gave herself to others through Christ. That was the end of her biography and the beginning of her life. Years ago, Newsweek Week magazine, carried a story of the memorial service of Hubert Humphrey, vice president of the United States. Many people went to that funeral from all over the world. They wanted to say goodbye to their colleague and friend. One person went to that funeral, however, that was not noticed, not spoken to. Nobody dared to look at the person. This person was standing over in the back of the room. His name was Richard Nixon, former president of the United States. Watergate had just occurred not too long ago. This was the first time he was back in Washington after his disgraceful leave. But as he was standing there feeling all alone, suddenly something happened that was truly marvelous. The president of the United States, the current president was Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter came into the room before he went to his seat. He went over and he saw Richard Nixon and he went over and he stuck out his hand and he smiled a big grin. And people couldn't believe it as the two of them hugged and embraced each other, and Jimmy Carter said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome back home. And Newsweek magazine said, Don't you know that in ordeal of Nixon's wilderness experience, that if anything ever helped him and brought him around, it was that gesture of compassion and love that Jimmy Carter extended to him in that moment of his great pain. And, of course, you remember Bear Bryant, the great coach of Notre Dame, Bear Bryant was asked, what is the secret of your success? You know what Bear Bryant said? He said, it's twofold. He said, first of all, I make the team one heart. They're one in unity, one in fellowship. He said, secondly, if the team wins the game, it's the team's victory. If they lose, it's poor coaching. No wonder Bear Bryant was a success. He focused on the team, not the individuals. Always on the team. In some of our churches, the first Sunday in November, All Saints Sunday is celebrated. Do you know what we celebrate on All Saints Sunday? We celebrate the lives and experiences and contributions of those who have entered the church triumphant ahead of us. But we also celebrate the fact that it's an unbroken fellowship between the church militant on earth and the church triumphant in heaven. That fellowship is never broken. What does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The church has been defined as a place of grace, as a place of a new heart, and a place for all. Beloved, don't dismiss that, because one day that's going to be the definition of this world. God is going to bring all of that about. It's going to be the home of grace, the home of the new birth, and a home for all. That's the way it's going to be. One day. And so we can see God's emphasis on community, and it's a strong, strong emphasis to say the least. And then finally, we can see God's emphasis, his affirmation of the holy. His affirmation of the holy. Did you hear what John said? He said, I saw a holy city, but sadly, as we look at the world, as we see the troubles of the world, and the troubles is a continued amount we began to see that there's nothing much holy about it. A former preacher made the statement that the holiness of God is like a tent pole. This tent pole holds up everything. And he said, if you erase that tent pole or if the people don't respect it anymore, there's no reverence for anything in life. Do you remember Rodney Dangerfield, that stand-up comic, he's dead now, but remember when he used to be on television, He always opened up by saying this, I don't get no respect. I don't get no respect. Let me tell you something. When the holiness of God disappears, there's no respect for anybody. Let me also tell you, if holiness does not mean perfection, which it doesn't mean, what does it mean? Holiness, first of all, means we recognize God's claim on our lives. When the Bible is talking about a thing as holy, it's talking about a thing that is different. Do you realize that the Bible ascribes the word holy to God? That word holy is also applied to God in things related to God. So what this means is God is different. We're supposed to be different. That is God's claim on our lives. And that holiness means integrity. A little boy said, how are you going to grow an ideal life? when there's no one around to symbolize the higher things. Holiness means symbolizing the higher things. Holiness is honesty, it's soundness. Holiness is consistency, it's integrity. That's what holiness is. I like the story of the teenage boy that went into the drugstore, said to the lady, I'd like to have a card. I have a girl that really means a lot to me and I'd like to express that sentiment to her. Would you help me find a card? In a little while, the clerk came back and gave him the card, and this is what it said. It simply said, to the only girl I've ever loved. To the only girl I've ever loved. The boy said, wow, fantastic. I'll take six of them. Now, while that's a humorous story, that has nothing to do with integrity. And then holiness means that we live with constant repentance. In other words, we're deeply involved in the practicality of this world. Deeply involved, but we do not succumb to it. We're in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And then holiness means we live the redeemed life. We live the redeemed life. And I want to tell you a little bit how that looks. We're not talking about pie in the sky. We're talking about very practical things. Holiness means we live the redeemed life first we're faithful to our spouse. Second, we refuse to cheat. Thirdly, we're a neighbor that actually acts neighborly. Fourthly, we are the employee who does the work but doesn't complain. And then we're the one who pays the bills on time. And we're the one whose message in life are exactly the same. A group of young people asked this minister, what does it mean to be holy? Well, before he answered it, he asked them if they would like to answer. One girl said, well, I think it means kneeling before Jesus. Another one said, I think it means standing behind Jesus 100%. And another one said, I think it means sitting on Jesus' lap. The minister listened, and then he said, well, you know, wholeness doesn't really mean any of those things. It doesn't mean we kneel down. It doesn't mean we stand back. It doesn't mean we sit on the lap of God this is the way the minister described holiness. The minister said, Holiness is not about our bowing before, standing behind, or sitting on God's lap. Holiness is God's Spirit filling our mind, soul, and bodies so that when people see us, we're not even in the picture. Do you see what holiness means? Holiness means, and this is God's desire, that when people look at us, they don't see us at all. They see God. And so John said in his vision, I see a new heaven and a new earth. He was talking about the light that God has left on in the world. And this light is guaranteed by God himself. Let us pray. Oh God, how thankful we are for this hopeful word from the writer of the book of Revelation. We're grateful, O God, for the possibility of a new heaven and a new earth. But yet we know that this earth and this heaven here, all of it, needs to be made clearer. And we're grateful, O God, that you love us enough to guide us as we seek to do your will in all that we are, say, and do. Thank you for the people who join me tonight. I pray that you bless them and meet them at the point of their need. We pray for our nation and world and the leaders. Bless them and guide them. And give them a discerning will to accomplish your plans. It's all in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me for this broadcast tonight. I pray that you've been blessed. And I also ask you to tell other people about this ministry. And I hope that they'll be joining us as well as you. Thank you and good night.